Good evening. This is going to be a very exciting evening. Of course, every time you come to the Phil, you're here because you're excited about the music. But we have two different premieres. One that is a US premiere of a version of a piece, which is Esapekka Salonen's Fog. So this is the full orchestral version we're hearing tonight. And the other one is a world premiere. And I'm very excited we have that. I'm even more excited about it because I've been a fan of this composer, Gabriella Smith, for a few years now, which is saying something because I think she just turned 30. So <laughs> she is phenomenal. I heard a piece three years ago and uh, it's one of those was kind of mouth drop moments. I found myself thinking, oh, I'm a musicologist, I'm a music historian. And this is one of those things that somebody else will read about. Oh, I'll write down, yes, heard this by Gabriella Smith, and I'll talk about it. And someone will say, ah, this person was in the audience when this happened. So I'm excited, and I'm also excited because uh, of two themes that kept popping up in my head as I was preparing for this talk. As I looked at the program, there were two connecting ideas. And the first one was the pipe organ. I love that we're going to hear that organ a lot tonight. I am fascinated by pipe organs. They are musical marvels that have a documented history of at least a thousand years. I mean, the organ is this amazing machine. It's so immense that you can't take it out of the building where it is played. You can't, it's there. And there's a good reason that Mozart called this the king of instruments, because of all the bells and whistles, literally, that you have, it is an orchestra in itself. Most of the great pipe organs are also artworks. When you walk into Disney Hall, you see it, it never gets old. That spray of beautiful wooden beams, and that's just a small part of it. A massive creation constructed by a Los Angeles organ builder, Manuel J. Rosales, in partnership with Frank Gehry. Yes, the organ had to be planned into the architecture. So architect and organ builder had to work together. I was reading because I loved Gary's idea at such a Gary moment of like, oh, I would like pipes all over the place and there'll be a cage hanging in the middle with the organist and Mr. <laughs> right, it's brilliant. It's a, you can see it and Mr. Rosales had to say, uh, that's a beautiful idea, and it will never work. So, sorry. Gary has affectionately called the pipe display that we see the French fries. Uh, but of course, we're only seeing a small portion of all the works. The Disney Hall uh, organ has over 6,000 pipes and 128 stops. 
the levers that you pull out for different voicings and timbres, different registrations. It has all the orchestral instruments, as well as a few stops that you have to love their names. One of them, the voix angelique, the voice of the angels. There's also, also the trompeta de los angeles, the trumpet of Los Angeles. That's a great stop name. It needs to be a band as well. The complexity of this music machine was even apparent in its concert preparation. The first time that we heard this organ was a year after the building opened because it had to be voiced, which meant that Mr. Rosales and his associates had to come in and put a weight on each key and then walk around the building, all around the hall in silence and see, is it sounding, every one of them. It took a year to happen. So for me, that is an amazing, we can't, I don't want us to get over the awe of the simple things. If a child came in there, they would see that instantly. Pipe organs are fascinating. So they bring out, I hope, the child in each of us. The second theme is the idea of encounter. The moment when two human beings come together and find a correspondence, an empathy, a shared passion. This, in a sense, is an encounter. All of you have come, chosen to spend your time, to be here early, to listen, and I am grateful for that. But these pieces have a more intimate encounter. The first two works that we'll hear are the prelude from the E major partita for solo violin of Bach. Just the prelude, not the full dance set. It will follow immediately by Salonen's Fog, or really F-O-G. And both of these pieces are linked to a very specific memory that Maestro Salonen had and which moved him very much. Uh, he described, in talking about this piece, a personal story that lies behind Fog, and its foundation is in his friendship with Frank Gehry, the master designer of this hall, and of course, so many other places around Los Angeles and around the globe. The letters F-O-G refer explicitly to Frank Owen Gehry, and Fog was commissioned for Mr. Geary's 90th birthday. It was a present, a musical present. But the story is nicer. I mean, you can say, oh, we wrote a nice little piece for your birthday. But the story behind it, I found very moving. Apparently, Mr. Geary was quite anxious and even a little depressed about waiting for this hall. It was being built. It was in construction. And enough was up that he was really wanting to hear this. And he, and he told uh, Maestro Salonen, I, I really want to get in the hall. I need to hear some music in there. I want to hear some music. So Salonen arranged for Martin Shalafort to come with his violin. And the way he says it is it was still a hard hat area 
so they had to wear their construction helmets into the hall. There was no stage, just a big hole. I'll use first names now, not being so... So Frank and Essa Pekka, friends, collaborators, head up to the highest place they can. Martin is not in the stage, but in front of it. And he begins to play the Bach Partita. And Esapeka described it as the, the room was filled with these floating notes all the way up to us, and we were so happy, and we had tears in our eyes. I love that idea that they sat there and they just heard in the simplest way this piece. a simple thing that's also I think movie when we hear something created a long time ago still sounding for us today and this is why as a decided I will use that piece I'm going to use that piece as the basis of the kind of thematic uh, skin of the piece but the DNA he took further because he did another homage. Apparently, fog is also foggy, bottom foggy. One of Frank Gehry's has a, a boat. But the, the thing he also did, which is an old composer trick, is to use a cryptogram. So to build a motive on the letters that you can of someone's name. Bach, of course, was a famous, they had the Bach motive. I can't show it to you, but the idea is B is B-flat. A, C, both letters we use. H in the German nomenclature is B-natural. So he uses that, and lots of composers since then have pulled out the Bach motive. Uh, Shostakovich had D, S, which would equal E-flat. C, H is B-natural. So they build these little themes around the ideas of people's names. It goes back to Josquin, actually. It goes back to the Renaissance, that you have these cryptograms, these honorariums. So what uh, Esopeka said is, I, I took his name, I took Frank's name with what I could, and he built F A G. E, H, and the H is the B natural. So he built this idea. So first of all, let's listen to the opening of Fog where you'll instantly hear his take on the partita. What is different just there? Anybody? Hmm? Yes, 
So we have this idea of, first of all, high up there with the flute. We're doing something completely different. Anybody hear about the, 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 the melody itself sound a little bit different? Da, 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 dun, 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 bum, is what we're using. This was da, 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 dun, dun, bum, right? But he did something else with it. Da, 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 da. Not warmed up for that. Thought I'd have a piano. <laughs> so there you go. Those Da, 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 da. This is the Phrygian mode. We often hear when anybody wants to make something sound like it comes from Spain. <laughs> so with that sound, it's in what he built for the cryptogram. So as we continue to listen, friendship, right, of delight. So, as I said, this was a fantasy on the prelude of Bach, but it's a fun, it's a, in a way, a whimsical take on this man, this friend, and it brings together other parts of the, the Baroque and of Bach than just the theme. You have a wonderful interplay of uh, different forces, a large and a solo force. You have very clear themes that you'll be able to fall. You have a rhythmic energy that goes through it, much as you would expect from a concerto grosso in the Baroque. So all of that is one example of that encounter coming out in the music. The second encounter that I heard about more recently happened with our world premiere, with Breathing Forests which until now was under the working title Organ Concerto. For the longest time, you would have seen it on the program as that. Gabriella Smith is an ardent environmentalist. Most of her pieces are inspired by her personal interaction with nature. She's a hiker, a nature lover, just came out with a wonderful new uh, recording called The Lost Coast, if any of you know that area of Northern California. She hiked that. I first heard her music uh, in a piece called Hexacoralia, where she described 
seen, uh, basically being in an island area, and she had a uh, waterproof microphone. It was listening to the choral sounds. And on the other hand, she was hearing Baroque music, and she put them together. And I heard this in Santa Monica, and I thought, that is astounding. I love this new voice. I was very excited. But that was around the same time that Gabriela Smith also had a work performed here. It was uh, January 2019. She was here to, hear, uh, to, have, um, to see the premiere of Philip Glass's 12th Symphony, which also featured the organ and the organist that you'll hear today, uh, Jamie McFinney. She was very excited to hear that herself. She had a piece called uh, Tumblebird Conpaths, I think. Oh yeah, Contrails, there we go, being played. So this is what she put out there with John Adams conducting on that night. She was imagining looking over the bluffs of the Pacific. She saw all kinds of birds diving, seabirds, birds of prey. ability to come up with different tampers. This is a composer who loves to experiment with the orchestra. What can conventional instruments do, and you're going to hear some amazing things, and how can those instruments bring you into a natural world that is being translated into music. So while she was there, apparently someone came to John Adams and said, we'd like to commission a piece. And she, uh, Gabriella also met, and how do I know this? I want to give a shout out to this young artist. Uh, I didn't have anything to go on tonight. It's a world premiere. There, I didn't have any information except for a few lines. So I wrote to her and I said, you wouldn't happen to have a score that I could see, maybe a couple of sound bites. She replied in like a day and she said, oh, and if you have any other questions, just let me know. So I said, oh, I'll, I'll write to you. I don't want to take up your time unless you would like to talk. And she goes, yeah, let's talk. So I had a wonderful hour-long visit with Gabriella Smith on about this piece. And the way she talked about it was, this is what made think of Encounter. She met Jamie, as she calls him, Jamie McVinney, and they hit it off instantly. So he said, hey, if you're going to do a new piece, do an organ concerto. She had never written for organ. She had no experience. Think about that. You have a commission for one of the greatest orchestras in the world, and you like 
and trust this musician so much that you said, okay, let's do it. So she listened to everything. He, he has a wonderful uh, Philip Glass and Bach recording. She was listening to Messiaen. She was just digging into or organ rep. Uh, and one of the people that she was kind of interested in as well, and I'm gonna see if I can play, was a woman um, who's just gotten into using the organ in unusual ways. And her name is Claire M. Singer. And unfortunately, I don't have a way to show you, but I, I'm going to give you the idea, as she explained to me, and I found it fascinating. She said, Claire plays with the organ by pulling the stops out very slowly while pushing another one in. And they're going so slowly, you get these in-between sounds. As the air, the amount of air changes, and it creates all of these unusual possibilities. So Gabriella Smith, she, she gets hold of Jamie. Again, I'm gonna go on first name basis because we're all friends here. Uh, she calls Jamie and she's like, I wanna do this. Can I do the stop pulling thing? And he said, no. <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and he didn't do it because he was being petulant. He said, you literally cannot do it with the organ that is in Disney Hall. That was the thing. She was learning about this. Every organ is potentially different. So the one that Claire Singer works on is a hydraulic old organ for the 19th century. So she can do that. It goes in between. This one, it's electric, it's on or off. You're either on the stop or off. It's, there is no in-between. So she did something else, which I thought was wonderful. Again, this, this encounter, this relationship, she did not indicate any of the stops for this piece. She left, she, the, Jamie asked her only, can you write in your feelings, your thoughts, just a, just a couple of words. So it is allowing him to co-create what you will hear tonight. It's his response to her. She says, dreamy, he will respond to that with what that is in a very real way, not just interpretively, but actually sonically. And I found that so beautiful and so charming that that relationship could build a piece. So what you're hearing is the coming together of two wonderful artists. And it will always change. This piece will possibly always be different. Um, so what you'll hear are three movements. And be listening carefully, because if, if you know anything, this is, as we're having, what, an 89-degree day in Los Angeles today. She was very concerned about the fires we've had all over California. And this is a response to that, someone who loves forests. So that's how breathing forests. And the first one is grow. And that is, in a way, the most elaborate for the organ. Then breathe. And I can hear there some of what Claire M. Smith, Claire M. Singer does, long-held tones, changing timbres in the orchestra, and then burn. And if you don't get chills from what she evokes as the sound of a forest burning, I will be surprised. The other thing I asked her about is, how did you approach a concerto for orchestra? Because I'm looking at 
the score and it doesn't look what you expect. Flashy, 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 flashy. Orchestra, orchestra, flashy, flashy. That is, you know, this is our idea of concerto. She said, well, the problem is the, or the organ really is an orchestra. It's orchestra and orchestra. So she said, I thought of the other instruments as stops. Isn't that a lovely idea? So you have that opportunity that she's, it's a concerto for extended organ. The orchestra as organ stops the organ as orchestra. So that's your second work. And then, of course, we have the big, the canonic, monolithic, 2001 extravaganza. Everybody knows that part. So with few minutes that I have here, there's a lot that you say. We have a fantastic program now, but I wanted to again tie it to what was I getting out of this, this theme. Strauss had been a Wagner fan for a long time. In fact, Wagner's friend, the conductor Hans von Bülow, who actually took Strauss as an apprentice in conducting, called Strauss Wagner III. Apparently you couldn't have Wagner II because no one was that good, <laughs> according to Bulow, who also gave his wife to Wagner. So that's taking one for the team, right? <laughs> take my wife, but like seriously, take my wife and I'll still keep conducting your works. That's devotion. So Strauss had been enthralled with this, but this is a change. We see a change and I was reading about the, the second wave of tone poems that he wrote, these orchestral works that are in kind of one big wash, or sections but not movements per se. And this is a much more skeptical Strauss. He's becoming a true modern, modernist, true modern guy. He devoted it originally to the 20th century, dedicated this piece. He'd been reading a lot of Nietzsche, and when reading Zarathustra, this particular tom, he came, he encountered the thoughts of this philosopher. God is dead. Christianity is weak. The idea of humility and sacrifice will not solve our problems. We need the Superman. We need an evolution of the human being was the idea. So just as we might feel the evolution toward a lower primate, there was this sense of we should become better. Strauss liked this idea, but he was naturally a trickster and always a little bit cynical and ironic. I think that's a better word. He was always a little ironic. So I was reading what one person said about this. I mean, he's, in, he's encountering Nietzsche and he's very attracted to this. But as I was reading what some of the people said about this, uh, James Hepakowski, who's a Strauss specialist, said he really saw Zarathustra. Strauss is his most either or ambivalence. Here Strauss turned the tables on the prevailing conviction that both absolute and program music could harbor deep philosophical truths. If the musical public wished to believe in musical philosophizing, well, then, he would give it to them. In this act of purposefully hyperbolic overreaching, he wrote immensely conceived music freely after Nietzsche. 
loosely conjuring up selected ideas from a literal book of philosophy, or at least from a literal philosopher, since one issue has always been the degree to which the tone poem adheres to the narrative specifics of Nietzsche's Zarathustra. From certain perspectives, this was a reductio ad absurdum flung back at the tradition's face. He was on the top of the classical music, Western ga classical music game, but he didn't believe in the metaphysics anymore. So you can read it both ways, but what I do think he believed in, Nietzsche's basic idea of nature and the human. And that the human is not always worthy of nature and yet must learn from it and protect it. And that nature is the answer to this evolutionary growth. It is the very evidence of will as Nietzsche saw it, of spirit. Nietzsche also felt that the highest calling for the spirit, for the soul, was to be found in dance. And those are things Strauss took very seriously. So we have pretty much the biggest call of awesome and sublime in the sense of terrifying and beautiful at the same time in this opening, which we won't hear for, for it's a growl, a rumbling. You're going to feel that tonight. I once heard about a study that someone did where they used a very, very low note in the basement of a concert hall. So it was literally solo, it was just a vibration. They played the same program twice, but they only played the low note on one of the days. Actually, they switched it. They switched pieces. Then they asked the, the audience, which piece did you like best? And without failure, like 90% said this one. And it was when that note was being played. There is something very 
physiological. And in fact, we have a reactant called frisson. When something is, gives you the goosebumps, it's usually because our little reptile animal brain says, danger! But then we say, oh, but that's kind of fun. It's the roller coaster thing. I'm going to die, I'm going to die, yay, right? It's the, that's what we like. The growl that makes us uncomfortable, the shriek, the scream. But if you give it some aesthetics and you turn it into an organ pedal, it becomes thrilling. The longest of the movements that you'll hear tonight is the dance. And this is why I say be ready to go both with Strauss's seriousness and his irony. It's eight minutes long or so. It's the longest section, and here we go. But he starts, da-da-da. He was reminded us of nature, and nature starts having fun and dancing. Waltzing away. We don't need to philosophize too much. I don't think Strauss was. He never wanted to explain exactly where it lined up with Nietzsche. He allowed his imagination to go. Tonight, I'll leave you just with this thought. Tonight is a celebration of nature and encounter. And what I mean by nature, the nature of the organ which was described once as the grandest instrument, the hand of man placed in music's galaxy in which all nature's wondrous sounds are linked in golden chains of countless harmonies. The nature of acoustics of this hall that brought Essa Pekka and Frank Gehry to tears. The very idea of how sound travels and delights us too much. It is the final, the, the nature of the forest that Gabriella Smith recognizes and celebrates in his work, this precious nature that needs our protection. And that it is Zarathustra's remind us, reminding us to listen to nature's sound and to dance. Thank you. <laughs>